Man, awesome. Christ alone. Thank you, Kevin and team. Our kids can head back to be with our team of workers in Transformation Station. That's our kids' ministry. It's hosted downstairs in the club. And our team does an awesome job with, down there with them each week. Very thankful for them. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open up your copy of God's life-giving word to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in chapter 12 this morning. So Luke chapter 12 is in the, the, the kind of last half of the Bible. Um, we'll be starting in verse 13 of chapter 12 this morning. Um, I'd like to welcome everyone today, but particularly our new guests. So if you are new to Redemption Hill, let me personally welcome you. My name is Tanner Turley. I serve as one of our pastors. And uh, this, this uh, Afternoon, after the service, actually it probably won't even be afternoon yet, uh, but after the service, we're hosting what we do roughly once a month around here. It's called Next. And Next is an opportunity for you to stick around after the service, whether you're, you're, you're somewhat new, brand new, or you've just been around Redemption Hill a while, but you've never been to Next. We would love for you to make plans right now, like look at your, you know, the person you came with, like, hey, let's do that. Um, to come and connect with a few other people and also hear a little bit more about Redemption Hill. So we, we promise we won't hold you hostage, okay? You'll still make like the NFL 1 o'clock you know, game if that's your thing. Uh, about 45 minutes, we'll, uh, we'll take care of business and send you on your way, unless you just want to you know, chat it up and then we can do that too, okay? But we'd love for you to stick around for next after the service. Well, uh, I want to I ask you a question to get us going as we uh, dive into Luke chapter 12 this morning. Um, when is the last time you feel like you got outside of your relational and cultural bubble? When's, when's the last time? We all have these experiences in life. In fact, that's one of the things I love as I look around at our church. One of the things I love about Redemption Hill is being a part of this church helps me get outside of my cultural bubble because we are a multicultural church. Thankfully, I had some experiences as a, as a young kid to get outside of my bubble. It actually uh, was, you know, surfaced through the, the sport of basketball. My dad was a high school coach, and I played all growing up, and so uh, a lot of my experiences as a kid were hanging out with some of those in the African-American community of our city, and I can remember distinctly as a kid going to the Martin Luther King Jr. Center that was not placed in my neighborhood, but in the neighborhood of many of my African-American friends, and there I was exposed to what I feel like was a different level of music and dress and swagger and game for sure, all right, basketball. I mean, like, and I thought it was not only a different level, I thought it was a better level, you know what I'm saying? Like, these guys could hoop, and they like music that sounded good, and, and so my experience as a young kid was shaped in part by these different experiences that I had with others in my city. So it's one thing, though, if we're talking about traveling across town. It's another thing if we're talking about traveling across the world. So as a first-year graduate student, I had the opportunity to go with some classmates to the country of Ecuador. And I can remember one afternoon, we were heading into a different part of the city. We parked on this kind of dirt road alley, and we walked a few blocks, and this, this home was ready to welcome a few of us in that the, the, the missionary we were working with had, had set up. And we stepped into the home, and it was a 12 by 12 
room that was the house. 12 feet by 12 feet of concrete flooring. Nothing, nothing like that was concrete flooring, and that was probably a, a gift. Cinder block walls on every side, and a tin roof. And I can remember thinking to myself, like, this is their life. This is how these people live. Like when, they, when they, their, their head hits the pillow at night, like this is their home. When they cook a meal, when they share a meal together, it's right there. It's happening in those 144 square feet. This is their life. Don't, don't worry about like fancy decorations and nice furniture. Most certainly like TV, you know, the comforts that we enjoy. Like it did not exist in this home. But I can tell you what did exist in that home. Love. Joy. A peace that was communicated from the inside out in the way that they interacted with us. There was contentment in that home. And so it left me asking the question, if I were in their shoes, and perhaps you could ask yourself this morning, if you were in their shoes, would you have that same level of joy and love and contentment in your life? It's a very serious question for our consideration this morning because for those of us who either grew up in America or now find ourselves living in America, we should probably question how much we're conditioned by what is known as, of course, the American dream. Having it kind of all together to where we can afford, you know, a very comfortable lifestyle, own some property, live on some wealth that we've accumulated through our retirement years and that's kind of that. This morning as we look at Luke chapter 12, it's a, a story that one pastor says that uh, this gentleman is the poster boy for the American dream. And so perhaps we can just ask ourselves, like, how much of our story kind of resonates with, with his desires or how much of our, of our story, our life today, resonate with the words of Jesus? And my assumption is all of us, including me, hopefully like we're somewhere in between the spectrum. So these words from Christ in this parable, I believe they give us the, the secret to a more-than-me lifestyle, which again, goes beyond just our abilities and our time but also even to our pocketbooks. Like this, this whole series on generosity, we've been very intentional to not talk about money first or not talk about money every week. In fact, we don't really, we just kind of try to preach the Bible when the Bible talks about money, we'll talk about money. Okay, it's not the primary agenda. In fact, for me personally, this is just like, because I know I have a friend who uh, just a few weeks ago, he had visited Redemption Hill like three years ago. And he said, you know what, Tanner, when I came for the first time, I thought, here was my thought, all these people want is my money guy from Charlestown, and I mean, it makes sense. That's what he had seen on TV, you know, from like 
supposed teachers of the Bible and preachers, like all they're talking about is money. It's like all of life is about money and give me your money so you can have more money, which is called the prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all. And so if today is your first Sunday, just know that we're not talking about money every single week. We're talking about Jesus every week. And so what Jesus talks about, we talk about, and that's our goal as a church. Now, what is this secret then that I was about to get to? And it is this. If, if we are to seek the generous lifestyle, a more-than-me lifestyle with, with our possessions and money, then we need to worship our way to giving more with our money. Got that? Worship your way to giving more and doing more with your money for the sake of others. This is what we're going to see in this parable. Now, here's what's going on, okay? Luke chapter 12, Jesus has been teaching and performing miraculous deeds of kindness, and so his popularity is skyrocketing at this point. In fact, if you look back at the first verse of chapter 12, here's what it says. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. I mean, this was the magnetism of Jesus. His words were so wise and so helpful, and his deeds so brilliantly pictured forth the coming kingdom of God that people wanted to hear him, and people wanted to see him, and people wanted to experience what he was displaying to the world. And so here in Luke chapter 12, what we have is Jesus teaching on what could be some threats to truly following him with everything that we are. And that is our goal as a church, like just to know who Jesus is and to seek after him with everything we've got. So he talks about false teachers at the beginning of this chapter. He talks about persecution that may come as we live out the truth and not according to this false teaching. Uh, But now we see that he has asked a question by someone in the crowd. Look at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This would not have been an uncommon request of a rabbi, a teacher, that that someone would say, hey, this is someone I can trust. This is someone I can go to to give a fair judgment of my situation. And so Jesus, rather than answering his request, actually answers his question with another question. Look at verse 14. He says, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And this could have been the end of the discussion, but because Jesus knows our hearts and because Jesus understands how careful, not just this man, but I'm sure Jesus is thinking, hey, I'm going to say this for his benefit, and everyone else hearing it is going to benefit as well. We need to hear a lot about how our hearts gravitate and inclined to view and handle money in our lives. We all have it, and we all need to handle it according to God's design. So then Jesus gets into a lesson. This is his thesis statement for the parable that follows. Look at verse 15. And he said to them, him and the crowd, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life, does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus says, take care. Some translations say, watch out, be on your guard. Because if you think that your life consists 
of how much money you possess, then you are far off the mark. And so that is why he then tells this parable beginning in verse 16. Here we go. It says this. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store all of my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Now let's just pause right there and ask a very important question here. Is there anything wrong with, going, with what's going on in the parable to this point? Is, is, is it bad to take what you've been entrusted with and, 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 and maybe handle it in a, in a wiser way? Like if he doesn't build a barn, the crops are going to go bad and he's going to lose all of that value of the crops. So I think we could say, look, no, there's nothing wrong at this point in the story. If you get a raise, is it wrong? You get a raise this week, are you going to like say, no, like, pastor, life is inconsistent, a bunch of possessions, I must say no to this raise. Don't do that. Take the, take the money, all right? But what is going on is not his circumstances, but it is his, the inclination of his heart to his circumstances. Follow? Follow me? The, incl- the issue is not how much money we possess. The issue is how our hearts respond to what we possess. And this is where Jesus goes in verse 19, because this man, we now see his heart in this. He says what? I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. I mean, this this guy, now we start to see what's going on in his heart, that, that he is starting to trust in his riches that will then provide for him what he's really longing for out of this wealth that he's accumulated, which is identity and security and pleasure and ease and comfort. And these things in our lives can become, as we'll see, replacement gods that seek to give us what God is designed to give us. And so this guy is living large. He's living a high life. Uh, he's, he's seems like he probably feels as though he's the king of the, the world at this point. But Jesus is going to say, no, I'm sorry. You are actually the king of presumption because verse 20 says this. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So before I give you a couple of encouragements, I just I have, to, have to wonder if some of you are hearing this story about so much basically value, wealth, we could say money. Like this person is, 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 is becoming rich, right? And so some of you are like, Pastor Tanner, like what, what, a great, what a great story, what a great, great sermon. Like yes, we need to be more, you know, with our abilities, more with our time and more with our money. But like this, this doesn't apply to me here, uh, Pastor, Pastor Tanner. Like nice try, but um, you know, I'm not rich. 
Hmm. So, so then, like, are we, are, 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 I'm not ready. Like, are we off the hook then? So I could, I could like try to make an argument and say, like, if you're an American, then you're, you're filthy rich in comparison to the rich, rest of the world. But some of you are like, nah, I don't want to hear that. It doesn't stick. If that doesn't stick, that's fine. The reason we should all pay attention to this is because Jesus is not talking to a rich man. He's talking to a man who desired to be rich. So the relevance of this passage sticks whether you make 20 G's, 200 G's, or no G's. We all need to listen up. I mean, I would say when Jesus speaks, we should be listening anyway, right? But like, this is for all of us here. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank or in your pocketbook. We all need to pay attention. So how, how, what, what can we learn here that will drive us to a more-than-me kind of lifestyle? Um, here's number one. Covet not the counterfeit God of money. All right? I went, I went a little old English on you. I went a little King James version of the Bible here, okay? Just to, to keep my words tight, all right? Covet not, do not covet the counterfeit God of money. Now, uh, as we get into all this, I just want to ask you this important question, okay? And I want you to try to answer it as honestly as you possibly can. There's no survey. You don't have to, like, turn in your answers to me or anyone else. This is just for you, okay? What is your gut-level response to the call of giving generously with what God has entrusted to you? What is your gut-level response? Are you eager or are you hesitant? Are you cheerful or... mm, begrudging? Are you greedy or are you generous? God is calling us to a generous lifestyle. Jesus is telling this story so that we can get in on a more than me kind of life with our money. So, so he starts off and he says, look, um, a, man's, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. That's why you need to guard against covetousness. Now, what, is, what does it mean to covet? To covet something, all right, is to want what belongs to someone else. As simple as that. It's to want something that does not belong to you. And if we are being honest, we all struggle to beat down the greedy impulses that arise within our hearts. There's always a piece of us that's saying more, more, more. And not just like, not just like more in the sense of like it would be nice to have more, but really what we're saying there is more for me, right? Like, As long as I'm getting mine and getting more of mine, then life is good. I mean, I can remember as a a kid, you're like, Tanner, were you a greedy kid? I was like, I don't know. I'd hope not. But like, I know that that when my parents got me a a package of baseball cards, I wanted two packs. I wanted five packs. I wanted a whole stinking box, you know what I'm saying? And like, that was the big Christmas present. Like, if you got a whole box of baseball cards, but then you know what? Man, I saw that my friend, like, he didn't get the Toss brand. He got the Don Russ or the the score or whatever. I can't even remember all the names, but Fleer. So, like, I had the top. Like, I want, then then what happened is, like, I wasn't content with my box. Like, I wanted the Don Russ Fleer and whatever, you know? Like, that's, that's, that's who we are. I would dare say that's how broken we are. 
always wanting more, hardly ever content apart from the grace of God. So now, like, just bear with me because the toys change, right? Like, who cares? Like, anybody care about baseball cards here today? Um, maybe so. You maybe still collect them. But, but, like, the toys change. Right now, we're talking about shoes and nice clothes and jewelry. We're talking about nice technological gadgets. We're talking about experiences and entertainment. We always want more. And there's another factor in play here that kind of reveals the heart of covetousness. Covetousness endorses the view that what we have really belongs to us. So, so look at what he says in verse 18. He's saying like, what? He's, this thought experiment for himself. Like, what shall I do? He's coming up with a plan. Maybe he's going to consulting, you know, his financial advisors a little bit. I don't know. But, but what he says is this. Um, I have nowhere to store my crops. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store what? All my grain and my goods. So this man, again, presumptuously assumes that everything that he has belongs to him rather than viewing everything that he has as on loan from God that he is to steward and manage according to his design. And if you don't buy it about the money piece, then you can just ramp up the argument which Jesus, the very smooth operator teacher, does. And he says, look, you're talking about your money. I'm talking about your life. You can't even bank on one more day apart from God and his sovereignty and his grace to you. So if God controls the numbers of our days and our lives belong to him, how much more does just a few hundred dollar bills? The difference between generosity and greed is this. Generosity says this. God gives money. Therefore, my money is his and I use it to glorify him. That's generosity. Greed says, I earn, therefore my money is mine, and I use it however I please. Does your heart resonate more with the generous attitude and mindset and lifestyle, or does it resonate more with a greedy attitude, mindset, and lifestyle? God invites us into a lifestyle of generosity. He, he invites us, and this is so freeing, by the way. It's so freeing. To, to, what, is the, what is the flip side of covetousness? It's contentment, right? Like true contentment, putting your head on the pillow at night and resting because life is okay, because God is in control, because what I have is enough. This is exactly what contentment says. Covetousness says I never have enough. Contentment says of course I have enough. Again, the issue is not the possession of money and material wealth. The issue is seeking to find in money and wealth what we were made to find only in God. So this man, we can, we can see how Jesus uses this parable of this man who's becoming rich. He uses it to talk about the idols of identity and vitality, of security and of pleasure. 
So, so in other words, it's like the more money we make, the better we look in the eyes of other people, right? It's like, I want to make some more money so that I can impress these people. And I just kind of feel like, man, why do we, why do, we do that? I mean, like, do we really care? Do we really care in the scheme of not just this, this life, but even especially in the scheme of eternity, like why are we so consumed with how other people view us? And added to that, we, we feel like we can, we can have life in the, like if I earn a few more thousand dollars, um, if I could just have a nicer apartment, then I'll have enjoyment and satisfaction. I'll be fulfilled. I'll have what I was looking for. And that's why Jesus is saying, what? A man's life, a woman's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. The words of Christ cut against these idols that rise up in our heart, that we are longing for fulfillment and we're longing to find an identity that that makes us feel more valuable when God is saying, hey, you're already valuable. You belong to me. You're on my team. Life is not found in dollar signs. It's found in, in me and what I want to give you. What, what, about, what about security, this other counterfeit God that, that lies under the counterfeit God of money? This is exactly what is going on here. He says, soul, like, just take it easy. You're all set. You can just relax here because you have enough stored up for many, many years. And he says, since you're so secure, then you can just kind of eat and drink and be merry and do whatever it is that you want to do. So there's the counterfeit God of pleasure. This, do you see how these, do you see how idolatry works? Like one just follows the other. We pursue money so that we can have the idol of, of pleasure that, you know, replaces finding ultimate pleasure and identity and fulfillment and security and satisfaction in God. So Paul would just say in this classic chapter in the Bible, it's 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32, he would say, look, it's totally fine to pursue all the pleasure you can in this life as long as the resurrection doesn't exist. He says this, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. This is part of the secret to a generous life. Like this, this man has his eyes set on now, this life. But Jesus is saying if you're rich toward God, you're not going to just be thinking about this life. You're going to be thinking about life beyond this life. I have just a very small example of this. It's, it's almost so trivial and trite that... I hope it's like an argument from absurdity that actually makes the point, okay? So, so here was my week this week. I'm just hanging out with uh, one of my pastors, John Reddy, and one of my other pastors, John Chastine, and uh, Kevin Sanders was with us, our, our Arlington Church planter, uh, starting a new church over there, and Chloe Morgan also traveled with us to the Pillar Conference this week, okay? And so uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're hanging out with all these other, uh, you know, pastors and people that are part of starting churches like Redemption Hill did five years ago, and uh, 
that. And so after the conference, we ate at one of my favorite restaurants in Raleigh. It's called Payway, all right? It's an Asian place that basically has the same menu as P.F. Chang's, except uh, thank you for the stewardship principles. You can actually get it on the cheap, all right? So we were applying some good stewardship principles there, um, at least on the money front, I, I hope, uh, but maybe not so much on the calorie front. Uh, because what happened was, uh, I mean, I'm seeing that, that, that spicy chicken that I want, but then I'm like, hey, Jody, you want to go in on some lettuce wraps too? Because that sounds really good, you know? So, so I get my lettuce wraps and I get my, you know, entree. I ate every, you know, piece of rice. I mean, it was so good. Um, and then, you know, I did have one fortune cookie. Uh, maybe I did eat, uh, you know, one crab wonton. I don't remember. Um, but it was just an unbelievable meal. I was more than full, you know what I'm saying? More than full. Two hours later, I was more than full. But I get on the flight, and the, uh, the flight attendant comes by with, hey, you want some H2O? Yeah, I'll take that. Dasani, I can, I can roll with that. Um, and they're like, well, what about some Cheez-Its? Now, you know, I didn't, did I, did I need, did I need these Cheez-Its? No. They only have 100 calories and nine grams of whole grain. I was sure to tell uh, Pastor John next to me. Um, but I didn't need this, right? I, I, I'd had enough. I was to my limit. But, but you know what? We always want more, right? I, I, I wanted some cheese, not because I was hungry, but because it, they taste good to me, right? I don't know if you like Cheez-Its, all right? But I like Cheez-Its, and so I wanted some Cheez-Its because they delight my taste buds, right? And, and, and this is just... This is just a very small example of how we just keep going after more little simple pleasures. But when we scale that up, we can see 100 calories turn into $100 purchases or wanting a home that is worth $100,000 more than we really need for it to be. And so in all of this, Jesus is saying, look, covet not the the counterfeit God of money, but be rich toward God and not your riches. That's the second encouragement, okay? Be rich toward God, not your riches. This parable is all about asking this man who wanted the inheritance and asking us, will you treasure God more than you will treasure your money and your possessions? Will you value God, be rich toward God, more than you will value your money and be rich toward your money? Craig Blomberg says this, and this is just kind of, just kind of pressing in here now. And, and as I share these truths with you, just know I'm sharing them with myself and I'm trying to live these out myself. He says this, how we handle money is the most important test case of one's profession of discipleship. So, so let, me, let me put that in kind of uh, everyday words, okay? How we handle our money is the greatest indicator of how devoted we are to Jesus. And then he goes on to say that materialism is the single biggest competitor with authentic Christianity for the hearts and souls of millions in our world today. And this is most certainly true in America. So, so Jesus is saying, like, this is, these are Jesus' words, right? Like, I'm just up here sharing Jesus' words with you, not my words. Um, Jesus is saying, if you really want to follow me, then you can't follow God. You can't serve 
God and you can't serve money and, and follow money at the same time, okay? You can only choose one God. And I know, man, it's like, and I alluded to it earlier, sometimes, like, someone's probably going to walk away. I hope this isn't the case. I really hope it's not the case. I'll buy you a cup of coffee. If this is your concern, I want to buy you a cup of coffee this week and just share my heart and the heart of our church with you. But I know someone's like, man, why are we talking about this in church? Like, my money is my business, which actually sounds a lot like the fool in this story. Here, here are a couple questions for you. Would you say that Jesus is worthy of your abilities? Like we talked about this a couple weeks ago, like, yeah, man, God's gifting me with some abilities, some skills. Like, I can only use those in my workplace, and, but I can use those in the context of the mission of God in the church. And I want to, I want to, sure, I'll, I'll give him my ability, more, than my, more with my abilities. I'm there. Like, you know, we did this series on time. Like, would you say that God is worthy of your time? Yeah, I'll give it, yeah, I need to, yeah, I need to manage my time better, and I need to, you know, manage it in light of who God is, and, and be more generous toward others, and spend my time in good works, and, okay. So if God is worthy of your abilities, and he's worthy of your time. Why isn't he worthy of your money? Is Jesus worthy? Like the, the, whole, the whole deal is about worship. It's about, my, in my heart, saying, Jesus, there's nothing greater than you. And so I'm going to live my life in such a way. I'm going to steward what you've entrusted to me in such a way that points other people to you. Devotion is the genesis of generosity, all right? Everything starts here. When our devotion to Jesus is right, then our desires will naturally follow to be about what he's about. So that now we have a, a, not a tight grip on our money and our possessions, but we have a loose grip. And it's like, if Jesus is asking me to give an extra hundred to something, then I'm ready to do it because I'm devoted to him and not the hundred. Here, here, here's just, this is, this is me speaking from my heart here. I want to be the kind of Christian. And I want to be one of the pastors of a church where the primary motivation for giving is not compulsion, right? It's not obligation. It's not like we, because we take up an offering every Sunday, right? We, we collect an offering to further the mission of God through this local church, like other churches. Like, we do this every Sunday. And so, like, when the basket is passed, I don't want to drop in or do electronically on push pay, which is what our family does. Like, out of, like, I have to do this. And I got to be honest, like, God is not too pumped up about, like, oh, man, I've got to do it. I have to do Like, no, I get to do this. I want to do this. This is stirring up my heart because why? It is an opportunity. Don't miss this. If you're nothing else, hear this. When we give, what we are doing is displaying the essence of God to the world. God is triune, all right? Father, Son, Spirit. One God existing in three persons. So what separates the Christian understanding of the one true God apart from all other religions of the world is like God eternally existed in a 
relationship, but it was an eternally loving relationship. So in other words, what? God, from the very beginning, from all eternity, he has always been pouring out. The Father has always been loving the Son. What is the essence of love? Love is, I'm sorry to get, get a little excited here. All right. Love is giving of oneself for the benefit of someone else, right? That's what love is. And this is what God has been doing for all eternity. And so when we give, we are never more like God because that is the heart of God, to give of himself. Miroslav Volv, uh, a professor at Princeton, uh, says this, Every gift breaks the barrier between the... He's at Yale. Let me start this over because he's at Yale. It doesn't really matter, but that's where he is. He says this in his book, Free of Charge. Every gift breaks the barrier between the sacred and mundane and floods the mundane with the sacred. When a gift is given, life becomes extraordinary because God's own gift giving flows through the giver. You got that? Like, and this, this applies to our abilities and this applies to our time, but it most certainly applies to our money. Whenever we give, I love that imagery, the sacred breaks into the mundane and, and God touches it and, and infuses his, a picture of who he is and, and his power. So that's the essence of God, and it is also the essence of the gospel, right? Because who is Jesus? He is the Son of God who became like us. Like, just say a lot of pause, think about that. Like, the God becoming like us. So 2 Corinthians 8-9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The essence of God and the essence of the good news about Jesus, that's the gospel, should motivate us, should compel us to want to give and give generously with what God has entrusted to us. And I would say not only the essence of God and the essence of the gospel, but also most certainly, check this out, the advance of the gospel. Like, Redemption Hill Church exists to know Christ and to love him and to help other people understand what it means to know him and love him. That's why we're here. That's why we're always going to be here. That's why we want to start other churches who want to help people know who Jesus is and love him with everything that they are. And so that is why we take up an offering every week is to say, look, God, you have given me my life and you have given me my my work, and you have given me my income. And so uh, just the, the least I can do out of gratitude is reflect your generosity here so that more people can know who Christ is. That's why we give. And so as I begin to, to move us to a close and we get very practical here, I, I hope that we will begin to make decisions in our lives that flow out of the heart that God is building into us that help that happen, that help the gospel advance here and around the world. And so this is why our best giving, our first giving is to our local church. For Marcia and I, our family, we give to our local church first because it is the 
primary vehicle by which God accomplishes his mission in the world. It doesn't mean that we're not, we don't try to be generous to, to other uh, parachurch organizations and other worthy endeavors and to, to alleviate suffering that maybe not, is not even connected to a Christian organization. All of those things can be wonderful and good as another good work that we can perform because of the generosity that God has placed in our hearts. But I want to ask you to consider, what does this look like in terms of giving to the local church. And so as we do that, let me, just, let me just ask the question, where are you when it comes to mature giving? I, I, just so you know, I never see a dime that anyone gives. We just made that decision when we started Redemption Hill. So uh, our other pastors are, are in on that, actually, because we have to see and allocate and steward well. Uh, but I, I have no clue what, what one person gives at the end of the day in our church. But I do know that Every person would fit into one of four camps, right? And this is like, this is for those that are like, man, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, this is home. Redemption Hill is home. I'm a member of this church. Or Redemption Hill is my church, even though I'm not yet a member. Like, I, this is, this is, these are my people, and I'm committed to being a part of Redemption Hill. Um, and if you're, if you're brand new, let me just go ahead and say up front, like, we don't expect you to give anything. Like, if this is your first time, you're saying, like, if you want to, if God, like, that's fine. But, but we don't expect that out of, out of anyone who's just visiting. This is like a family kind of, hey, we're in this together. We're going to give together. So, so one of four uh, areas, either there's just, your giving's missing. Like, we, have no, we, have, we would have no record of any giving from certain individuals that call Redemption Hill home. Uh, then, then we would have probably what would line up into immature giving. And immature giving Hopefully, as we grow in grace and are motivated by God and the gospel, that would flow into mature giving. And then mature givers often, we hope, will grow into very generous, even sacrificial givers. So I would just ask, where are you in the giving grid and matrix? And again, I don't, I don't raise this to like make anyone feel guilty or bad. I actually raise it to say, hey, we're all growing in this thing. And there was once a time when I was a missing giver. And there was once a time when I was an immature giver. And, and now I'm, uh, hopefully I'm a mature, I better be mature if I'm one of the pastors, right? Like, hopefully I'm a mature giver that is increasingly becoming a generous giver. That's, that's, who I, that's who we want to be. So how do we get there? Let me just give you a few thoughts. Uh, we give first, right? So God doesn't, like, God is worthy of more than our leftovers. I, like, spend all we want and kind of do what we want to do. Like, oh, man, I got an extra 20 this week. I didn't, you know, buy, like, four coffees. So, like, like, like God, like, we can, we can do better than that, right? So there's this principle in Proverbs that says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So we give first. Then we give voluntarily, all right? We, not because we have to, but because we want to. We give cheerfully. Not because we have to, but because we love to. Like, it excites us to give so that more people can know and love and follow Jesus. But then out of that, I think those set the tone, right? Like, we, we, we're doing honor and compulsion. We're giving voluntarily in a cheerful way. But then some other principles there would be systematic. Like, it's a regular occurrence that we're giving. We want to give proportionately. Okay, so this is like, I actually don't believe for uh, New Testament, like, for those of us who follow Christ, I don't see in the New Testament anywhere where it's mandated like, hey, give 10% or you're not honoring God with your wealth. 
But I will say that's what the people of God in the Old Testament gave to the, to the, to the priests so that the work of God in the temple could, could be advanced. And so I think just as a principle, like why wouldn't we in our minds like be shooting for that goal? And then when we can get past that goal and give even more, like why wouldn't we strive to do that with what God has entrusted to us? So 2 Corinthians 9, 7, you want to write this verse down if, if you're learning about giving here today, which we all are. It says this, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We see these principles, right? Systematic, proportionate, voluntary, cheerful, which would then hopefully move us to even being sacrificial. Like giving until it maybe hurts a little bit. Like we have to say no to some other things that we enjoy so that we can say yes to helping others around us inside the church and even outside of the church. And so let me just, let me just ask you, what would be a next step for you? Like maybe you say, like, and just to be honest here, like I'm missing and I, like I could at least take a step and give something I could give up a couple coffees a week. I could, I could rearrange some of my, my spending habits, and I, and I could start giving. So maybe you move from missing to immature, but you've made a start, right? And that, like whenever someone does that, man, we want to celebrate that. That's an amazing step. We all start somewhere. Even if it's a baby step, that baby step is to be applauded. But then we want to grow from maybe immaturity to maturity by these principles of, of giving first, of giving voluntarily, of giving proportionately, of giving cheerfully. And so what is your next step? What could you do to say, you know what, man, I am going to continue giving to God's mission in the life of this local church. For, for some of you, maybe it's just as simple as this, hey, keep it up, right? Like maybe, maybe you're in that mature camp and, and, and you're continuing to, to, to grow in your maturity, but it's just like keep moving forward as God gives you grace to move forward. But, but I suppose, I suppose, and I would even throw myself into this camp uh, to a degree, maybe it's not just simply keep it up, maybe it's level up. Maybe, maybe it's as, as simple as saying, you know what, I have some income that, you know, man, I miss some Sundays and I just kind of give when I'm here or, you know what, my income has changed and now I have an opportunity to catch up and to adjust what I'm giving so that the mission of God can advance here in this church. And maybe some would just say, you know what, Tina, I'm going to continue my regular giving to close out the year, but I can, I can give like a one-time kind of additional above and beyond gift to help to help redemption, he'll move forward in what God has called us to. And so I was, I was thinking about this week, like how can, like one of our responsibilities as pastors is to help people take accessible steps. And so I just thought, you know what, um, we're, we're actually, and this whole sermon isn't because we're a little behind in our giving this year. We've never been behind, by the way, as a, as a five-year-old church plant. We've never been behind, and that's just the grace of God that that's where we've been. Uh, but, but we are behind in our, in our internal giving this year. So, so what would happen if all of us would say, you know what, each week, not just the weeks that I'm here, but each week, what if I started to give five extra dollars a week? What if I could do 10 extra dollars? Like if, if 100 of us gave 10 extra dollars a week, that would close the gap on our, our deficit by $10,000. Just as simple as that. 
And I would say, you know what? There's probably some of us that we can maybe not only give 10 more a week, but we could do 25 or 50 or even 100. So listen, I am not the Holy Spirit in your life, right? I'm not like saying, hey, you know, 10, give me like 25, 30. No, that's not the point. The point is what? As God leads each of us, we all play our part so that the mission of God can advance in this great city of Medford and greater Boston. And so what I want to do is pray, and then we're going to do something we never do. We're not going to sing first. We're going to give first because every time we give, what? It is a way to worship Jesus. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward. We're going to collect an offering together as an act of worship, and then we're going to sing in worship to our great God. Father, thank you so much that we can have important conversations like these that, yes, feel touchy as we hear them and even perhaps touchy as we share them. But God, we want to value what Jesus values and we want to live according to his desires for us. And so, Father, wherever we are today, God, I just pray that each person, first and foremost, would see how awesome you are and worthy you are and say, I want to be devoted to this kind of God that, that, that is so generous and, and can give me life through his death and resurrection. And so, God, then out of that, I pray that we would respond in generosity with everything that we have in our life, our abilities, our time, and yes, most certainly, the money that you have entrusted to us as well. So God, as we give today, we pray that you would take our gifts and that you would multiply them and maximize them for your glory in Medford and around the world. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, well, Kevin is going to start to play and our ushers are going to move forward. But listen, if you maybe say like, I don't have any, like, I'm, I don't want to give through this mechanism, you can actually give through PushPay. It's our electronic giving system. All you need to do is text the word Medford to 77977. And that's how our family uh, does it as well. But let's give voluntarily. Let's give proportionally. Let's give cheerfully as God leads us.